So this morning we come into a little bit of like a, we, we've been going through a relationship series and uh, we actually kind of stepping in kind of amidst that. We started it last week, Bates started it for us last week, um, three Ephesians. And this morning we're coming actually to a bit of a standalone uh, preach, uh, specifically aimed towards our baptism Sunday and welcoming in new members this morning. And uh, I want to actually take us to uh, the book of Hebrews. Uh, it's probably one of my favorite books, and um, I'm really trusting and praying that God's going to draw some of us afresh and some of us for the first time to the beauty and the wonder of the gospel. Um, so if you wouldn't mind just ta- turning with me to the book of Hebrews, and it's a stunning book. It's written to the Hebrews who are new kind of Jewish Christians. And um, the kind of key anthem of the book is that Jesus is better. The writer is basically writing to them and, and saying a whole a bunch of beautiful things, but the anthem of it is basically that Jesus is better. And it was quite amazing when I was preparing for this morning, um, I was thinking around this morning a couple of weeks ago, and I actually had in my mind something that I wanted to share, and I had this text in my mind, but as I came to the text, I felt kind of God calling me to submit you know, some of my preconceived things that I wanted to bring and just say to submit to the text and to let the text speak. So I'm really trusting that God is going to speak to us this morning. So the book of Hebrews, the anthem of the book is Jesus is better. So the writer um, of this book was writing to Jewish Christians. And so through the book, he kind of parallels some of these old covenant um, aspects and then shows how Jesus is better than these things. Is there no ringing in your ears? Just mine. Still a little bit. Should I swap? Yeah. Don't look cool anymore. Can't dance, unfortunately. Cool. So, um, the writer to the Hebrews uh, is paralleling kind of old Testament and Old Covenant um, ideas and just showing them how Jesus is better than these things. So we see Hebrews 1, he says, Jesus is the better prophet. Jesus is the final word of God. And Jesus is better than the angels. Hebrews 2, Jesus is our great brother. Hebrews 3, Jesus is better than Moses. And uh, none of us are Jews here, but if you were a Jew at the time, hearing Jesus is better than Moses would be like scandalous. It's like your Moses is like one of the closest people to God himself, and the writer is saying Jesus is better than him. Hebrews 4, Jesus is the better priest. Hebrews 6 and 7, we see that Jesus is the priest after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 8, Jesus is the one who welcomed in a better covenant. You have the old covenant and now the new covenant. Jesus is the one who welcomed in a better covenant. Hebrews 9, Jesus is the true tabernacle. Not in a building anymore. Jesus is the one in whom God's presence truly dwells. And Hebrews 10, Jesus is the better sacrifice. So again, the great anthem of the book is that Jesus is better. Jesus is a better prophet, a better priest, a better king, and he's the one who welcomes in a better covenant. So this, from Hebrews 10, this kind of brings us into the flow of the text of where we are going to sit this morning. And we see in Hebrews 11, the writer kind of uh, describes these heroes of the faith. And then he flows into our text, Hebrews 12, and calls us to faith. So he shows great heroes of the faith and then calls us to faith. So we're going to read Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. But before we do that, I just want to pray. Father God, we thank you that your word is 
alive. We thank you that your word wants to speak to us, Father. I trust and I pray, King, I feel in a sense just like a, a conduit of your word this morning, Father. We submit ourselves, open our hearts. I pray that you would speak to us, King. Bring hope and life, Father, to people. Bring new life to people who haven't experienced you before, Father. Open this beautiful and wonderful and stunning texts to our hearts and to our minds, and may it be lived out in our lives, King. Amen. So Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, That's, those are the cloud of witnesses or those he mentioned in Hebrews 11. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. So we see this kind of overarching call of these verse, first two verses in Hebrews uh, 12 is one of endurance. It's one of perseverance. The writer is saying that there's a race set before us. There's a race of faith and that this race which is set before us has actually been marked out by God. And the race we are to run is going to require endurance and it is going to require perseverance. And the writer to the Hebrews would have a kind of like a, an old Greek or Roman um, athlete in his mind. That's the kind of thing. It's like this, you, the Christian walk is a marathon. And Paul the Apostle describes it elsewhere as a fight, like boxing an enemy. That's what the Christian walk looks like at times. And I feel that there's a seriousness that we need to come and take here, that there's a seriousness. We need to take the writer to the Hebrews seriously, and we need to take Paul the Apostle seriously. And there's this stunning text in 2 Timothy 4, where Paul is actually kind of reflecting upon his own life. He sees that his life is kind of coming to an end, and he reflects upon his life and what his life meant. He says this, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come and look how he summarizes his life I have fought the good fight I have finished the race I have kept the faith and I was so challenged by this this week is like is this how we describe our Christian life do we describe it like a race do we describe it like a fight that we fighting a fight of faith and I felt like we needed to come and test ourselves here and actually just submit ourselves to this and submit ourselves to the call of God here, that there is a seriousness with which we need to run the race that God has set before us. And the writer then um, later on in verse 1, he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us. So he kind of ties these two things together. He says, there's a race before you and you need to run. And in, in order for you to run, lay aside everything that's hindering you. Everything that would get in, way, in the way of your endurance. And it's quite, actually quite 
strange. When you think around the ancient athletes that this writer would have in his mind, um, we have like cyclists, you know, shave their legs to get streamlined. They took it to another level. They used to put olive oil all over their body so that it would make them like slippery and, and quite streamlined when they raced. But what would happen is that they would uh, do these events and where they did the event, it would be quite dusty. So dust would then begin to collect on their legs and arms and they would have this funny like hook tool that they would scrape the dust off if they were going to compete again. And this is powerful image of, of laying aside the weight that would hinder their endurance. So the call here is to lay aside every weight and to put things in our lives, things into our lives that would strengthen us. And uh, recently I have been fighting pretty deep things in my own faith. And a few weeks ago, or a few months ago, I felt deeply convicted around this. Deeply convicted, like these, these things that I'm struggling with, but then I, I felt God kind of, um, encouraging me and challenging me and saying, you know, are you, am I strengthening my faith and renewing my mind? Through reading of his word and, and being in communion with his spirit, strengthening myself and renewing my mind strong to the point where I feel like I can actually fight these things or strong to the point where I feel like I can run and I don't feel like I'm just limping. So I want to just take a moment, even though this is a high call, you know, there, there's a race before us and we need to run it. There's a high call here, but also I want to just sympathize with us and pour some grace onto our situations. This isn't like a pull up your socks, you know, that's not what the, the right is trying to do or like pull yourself towards yourself. Um, as we kind of go deeper into it, it's actually an understanding of how do I transfer strength that I thought I needed, needed to carry onto somebody else who can carry me, carry it for me. But I also do want to challenge us that there is a danger in the Christian faith where we can kind of coast. You know, we, we don't feel like it's a race. You can kind of go into autopilot and uh, there's a temptation to coast and not be challenged to run and be challenged to fight the fights of faith. Piper calls it the coasting Christian. And the problem is, is that that reality, and I've experienced that in my own life, is that reality begins to kind of feel okay. It's like, actually okay if I just kind of you know do this thing Jesus has kind of started this thing but it's fine if I just carry on in this way and we become believers who coast and don't run and we can become believers who uh, fiddle and don't fight and the writer to the Hebrews is saying to us believers strong believers in the room weary believers in the room saying we need to run the race that is set before us knowing that the running and the fighting doesn't actually depend upon us. So the writer then goes on to pull out three key truths, three key actual foundations for our endurance. He's saying there's, there's a race before you, you need to endure. And then he goes on to pull out three key foundations for our endurance. So firstly, he says, look to Jacob. You might think that's a bit strange, but I've taken some liberties there. Look to Jacob. Secondly, look to Jesus. And thirdly, look to joy. So I use Jacob just so it could kind of rhyme a little bit with the rest. Um, but firstly, look to Jacob. And I'm sure you won't forget this one. This will be the one you won't forget. Um, Jacob is representing the heroes of the faith of Hebrews 11. 
Remember, this passage started with therefore. Therefore, you're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Drawing a conclusion from chapter 11, we see these mighty men of faith. Noah, who was a righteous man in the eyes of God. Abraham, the father of the Jews. Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes. Moses, the giver of the laws. Rahab, the spies, the spy to the Israelites. Gideon, the reluctant warrior. Samson, the judge. David, the man after God's own heart. And Samuel, the prophet. And the, the writer kind of describes how there are countless others, heroes of the faith, faithful men and women that he couldn't even name. And these men and women stand as a testament to the faithfulness of God. You're looking back to heroes of the faith, men and women who stand as a testament to the faithfulness of God. So the writer to the Hebrews is saying in that context, therefore Hebrew, you too can endure because God is faithful. And the text says to us this morning, therefore new members who were welcomed in this morning, you too can endure. Therefore those who will be baptized this morning, you too can endure. And the rest of us in this room, believers and sons and daughters of Jesus, we too can endure. Look back at the faithfulness of God. And then he goes, kind of proceeds to take us to what I feel is like just the gold and the beauty of this passage. Just a glimpse of the wonder and the truth of the gospel and the grounds for our very endurance. So firstly, we look to Jacob and the men and women who stood with him. And secondly, we look to Jesus. Passage says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run the race with endurance that is set before us. Verse 2, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. This is the primary way that we endure as we look to Jesus. But as I came to this text, I was trying to understand, okay, but what, what way are we to look to Jesus? Like, in what way do we look to Jesus? Do we look to him kind of as a mere example? And, and this is much of my kind of upbringing that I understood Jesus to be. It's like Jesus did it, you know, surely you can too. He's just an example. Jesus did it, surely you can too. All this, Jesus started it, surely you can finish it. You know, Jesus started this thing for you, surely you can finish it. Jesus brought you in. Surely you can keep yourself in. So as Jesus put forward here as a kind of mere example, and Jesus is an example, the perfect example, a wonderful example, but he is so much more than that. I think the way that we look to Jesus is not just as a mere, as a mere example, but actually we look to him as the very means through which we endure. Jesus is the very means through which we endure. Not just kind of, look, Jesus did it, I can do it too, but actually look to Jesus, the one who is doing it. This text tells us that Jesus is the one who started it and Jesus is the one who promised to finish it. The faith that we have, the very faith that we have in Jesus, the very relationship that we have with God the Father, Jesus started it and he promises to finish it. So I want to just pull out 
and unpack these two key aspects. So firstly, Jesus, the founder. Well, another way of understanding this is Jesus, the creator. Jesus is the one who created the very faith that we have. There's another text where the Apostle Paul kind of describes this. It's in Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. And he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works. Not a result of work that you have done. This is not a result of works so that no one may boast. And my prayer this morning is really that this will land in our hearts. The salvation we have is a gift from God. Not a result of works. It is a gift of God. It is a divine act of grace as God's Spirit fills our hearts with faith. As God's Spirit applies the work of Jesus on the cross and through the resurrection. I was stunned reading in Deuteronomy 10 um, this week and just seeing a, a similar glimpse of this. It says, Behold, the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens. It's a good tongue twister, heaven and the heaven of heavens. The earth with all that is in it. Verse 15, Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are this day. The God who belongs heaven and heaven of heavens. The God who, who everything belongs to him. He's not boxed in by anything. And yet he chose to set his love upon a people. He chose. Free choice. Set his love upon a people. The people of Israel. And that love was then set on us through Jesus. This is a divine act of grace and a gift of God. The book of Hebrews tells us that this new life which we have, the divine act of grace, is founded by a perfect sacrifice. The eternal sacrifice of Jesus which will never be made again. The book of Hebrews tells us that it was mediated by a perfect priest. Jesus, the perfect priest. The priest, prophet, and king who welcomed in a far better covenant. One of enduring love and unending grace. So Jesus is the founder and the creator of our faith. So we need to look to him not as a mere example, but actually as the very person who by grace founded it and by grace will sustain it. Charles Spurgeon, some of you all know Charles, Sp Charles Spurgeon. He was one of the kind of greatest preachers in the 1800s. And uh, he records this experience that I want to read for us when he was 16. He says, when I was coming to Christ, I thought I was doing it all myself. And though I sought the Lord earnestly, I had no idea the Lord was seeking me. I do not think that, young, that the young convert is at first aware of this. I can recall the very day and hour when first I received those truths, the doctrine of sovereign overcoming grace. In my soul, when they were, as John Bunyan says, burnt into the heart as with a hot iron, I can recall how I felt that I had grown on a sudden from a babe into a man, that I had made progress in the scriptural knowledge through having found once for all the clue to the truth of God. One week night when I was sitting in the house of God, I was not thinking much about the preacher's sermon because I did not believe it. The thought struck me, how did you come to be a Christian? I sought the Lord. But how did you come to seek the Lord? 
the truth flashed across my mind in a moment. I should not have sought him unless there had been some previous influence in my mind to make me seek him. I prayed, thought I, but then I asked myself, how came I to pray? I was induced to pray by reading the scriptures. How came I to read the scriptures? I did read them, but what read me to, lead, to read them? Then in a moment I saw that God was at the bottom of it all. That he was the author of my faith, and so the whole doctrine of grace opened up to me, and from that doctrine I have not departed to this day. And I desire to make this my constant confession. I ascribe my change wholly to God. We see this profound moment in the life of Charles Spurgeon, 16 years old. And God opens up the truth and the wonder of the gospel. The truth that God was really at the bottom of it all. And I'm, I'm really praying this morning that for some of us who maybe aren't a Christian yet, but that God would open up the wonder of that. Or maybe you've been a Christian for some years. And God afresh would open up the wonder of the truth that he is at the bottom of it all. There's a hymn uh, which we'll sing a little bit later called, um, forgot the name now. Paul, you have to help me. Come thou found. There we go. Very easy one. I don't know how I forgot that. Um, anyways, it was written by Robert Robinson when he was 22. And there's just this first section which I found so profound. In this, he says, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. And interposed essentially means inserted or in, in, interceded with. He put in his precious blood so that a stranger could become a son. So we look to Jesus. Firstly, we look to Jesus as the founder, the one who sought us out and the one who saved us. Secondly, we look to Jesus as the perfecter, the sustainer and the completer of our faith. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 1.6, he says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I was deeply challenged by this. Are we sure of this? Are we sure of this, that he who began the work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ? We need to be sure of this. The writer is saying there's a race before you you need to endure. There's a race before you you will need to persevere. But endure knowing that God is the one who's going to sustain you. Endure knowing that the finish is secure. The end is secure. Hold fast, believer, because you are being held fast. And I was challenged. It's like, is this, is this really where my hope lies? Is this what I'm hoping in, you know, to take me to the end? Is the truth that Jesus will sustain my faith, is that where my hope lies? Are we secure in the fact that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing can separate us because he watches over our faith, protecting it, sustaining it. This is the wonder of the gospel. It's unchanging. The gospel begins by grace, it sustains by grace, 
and will be finished through grace. I want to take us just to a passage a little bit later in Hebrews 13, and I trust that for some of us this will lift a burden, a burden of, of, of kind of like carrying our own faith, carrying our own trust in God. And uh, Hebrews 13, verse 20 to 21, it says, Now may, may, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will. And he has a key section. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever God working in us God working in you working in you that which is pleasing in his sight and you in in Hebrews 11:6 the writer kind of describes how uh, it's faith that pleases God so we see this key connection here that what what he's actually saying is that the that God is working in us faith it's faith that pleases God. He's working something in us that is pleasing to God. God is working in us faith. God is stirring up our own faith. Strengthening our faith. That even the ability to trust God is sustained by God. Sustained through Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage us this morning. Those who feel tired. You feel this call to run and you feel like... I don't even feel like I can walk. And now you're calling me to run. And uh, I had some pretty deep moments um, in, in Yonkersuk uh, a little while ago. And just the, the truth of this reality hit me. He's you know, like, Father, and I, just, I was just praying, saying, Father, you, you promised to hold me. You promised to sustain me. And at a theological level, I, I trust that you will. But in that moment, I felt just like saying, now you need to do it. <laughs> it's like, don't let me slip. You promised to hold on to me. So now don't let me slip. In that same hymn, Robert Robertson says this, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter. A fetter is basically a chain. Bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take it and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Here's my heart. Oh, take it and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And I'm trusting that for some of us this morning, the truth and the beauty and the wonder of the fact that God will sustain your faith. Maybe some of you feel like you're slipping and you are praying, Father, hold on to me. You promise not to let go. Don't let me go. God promises that he won't. So we call to, as we run the race of endurance, we call to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And I want to just ground this for us, ground this idea of like, running the race before us and this overarching thing this morning is to say run in the strength of the lord you're not running by yourself you're running in the strength of the lord but this can be quite an abstract thing it's like okay run the race before me where's the race where do i go what do i do 
how do I sign up? And I wanted to kind of ground it a little bit for us. It isn't abstract. It's like actually just our everyday life. It's submitting our everyday life to God. And uh, I was challenged by it <laughs> this week as I had a kind of like business relationship and some unjust things happening there. And there were moments where I actually felt robbed of something. And I was thinking about this thing of like, what does running the race really look like? And I felt God saying to me, you know, it looks like this. It looks like a circumstance where you might want to like pursue validation or vindication or you think like, geez, I wish I could see that oak somewhere. But actually, it's like, what does running the race look like? It looks like showing grace in that situation. It's hard. It's hard when it's not abstract. It's actually in your day today. And I trust that running the race in that circumstance will look like forgiveness at some stage. Fighting the good fight looks like forgiveness in that type of relationship. It's about trusting God and trusting His ways. Other examples is Paul and Kate pursuing the call of God on their lives even when the costs are high. That's running the race. That's fighting the good fight. Or parents who want to raise their children to love Jesus. It's not easy. <laughs> it's hard. That's fighting the good fight of faith. Or those of us who loving or are faithfully loving Jesus when people around us kind of revile us or kind of do funny comments and sneers, that is running the race. Or, or it's, it's faithful obedience and trust in our loving Father. You can interpret this into any, in any kind of experience in your life. It's not an abstract thing of running the race of faith. It's saying, Father, how do I honor you today? How are you calling me to respond in a way that looks like faithfulness to you? So firstly, we look to Jacob. Secondly, we look to Jesus, the one who will sustain us and will bring the strength required to endure. And then lastly, we look to joy. The writer closes the section on joy as a motivation for endurance and there, there are two key ways that we look to joy here we look to christ's own joy and we look to our joy in christ so verse 2 it says looking to jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of god so firstly we look to christ's own joy we look to the example of Christ who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. Jesus, an example who for the joy set before him ran the race with endurance. Jesus' life looked like a race. It looked like a fight. It wasn't easy. It was a constant fight of faith. Trusting his father for what he had called him to. And there was a joy ahead of him that sustained him. And encouraged him to endure the joy of being again at the right hand of his father. United back with his father. That's the joy of Jesus. The joy of again of the glory of uh, the earth being back in his father's hands. That, that God again would be glorified by all people because of what Jesus had did. That is the joy Jesus looked to. And then the joy of union with his people. That Jesus looked to us in the room, the universal church, 
saying, yes, I'm going to be with my people. Those who I have gone to the cross for, I will be finally re- reunited with. So firstly, we look to Christ's own joy. Secondly, we look to joy in Christ. And it's this profound thing. There's a passage in 1 Peter 1 where it just talks about how our inheritance is sustained. This is like great joy ahead of us and God's keeping it. It's not going anywhere. And at the same time, God's keeping us for that inheritance. It's like the stunning thing of like there's inheritance. It's never going to go away. And at the same time, God's going to make sure you get there to actually receive that inheritance. That Jesus will sustain us for joy. And the joy we look to is a joy in in the presence of God. And it's fascinating when you look back in Hebrews 11, it's the same joy that sustained those heroes of the faith. We see Abraham in Hebrews 11.10. It says, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Hebrews 11.16 says, But as it is, they desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. And Moses, the joy sustaining Moses, verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater than wealth, than, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses, Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He was looking forward to joy, the joy which sustained the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11 will sustain us. Psalm 16, it says that it describes the joy of being of, of this kind of like end day when we will be united with God. And as we are in his presence, that describes his presence as the fullness of joy. And goes on to describe that at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So the call of Hebrews 12 is run, believer. Run in the strength of the Lord. Endure in the faith that God provides. Look back to faithful men and women. Look to Jacob, the past faithfulness of God. Look to Jesus, the one who created our faith, as that hymn describes, who sought you when you were a stranger, applying the saving work of Christ in your life. Look to Jesus, the one who will sustain you. That hymn goes on, who will bind you to himself who will bind your wandering heart to him and thirdly look toward the day look to the joy ahead of you that him goes on to say oh that day when freed from sinning i shall see thy lovely face clothed then in blood washed linen how i'll sing thy sovereign grace father god we ask this morning that your word would be opened into our hearts and into our minds father i pray for weary believers in the room king i pray that you would come and gird them up strengthen them challenge them to run the race that is set before them as they look to you jesus they look to you jesus as the very means through which they can endure we thank you father that you sustain us you promise to sustain us king help us to trust your sustaining work father god when times are hard when faith is hard when running is hard when fighting is hard i pray that we would trust in you father god i pray for the new members this morning king as they come and are welcomed into a community may we help one another
to run the race with endurance, to point each other to Jesus, to marvel in the joy that lays before us. Father God, those who will be baptized this morning, King, this powerful image of what has happened in their lives, that they are no longer strangers but sons and daughters in the house of God. I pray for those who were saved last week, King. Show them the wonder of what it looks like to run the race that you have set before them. Sons and daughters in the house. Princes in your family, Father God. We thank you for your founding and your sustaining work, Jesus. We trust that you started it. The marvel, your, your free love set upon us. What a gift, King. We thank you that you started and you promised to finish it, Father. Sustain us as we run. Sustain us as we fight. We look to you, Jesus. Amen.